You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, last week we started, we're in the Lent season, right? And during this season, we want to take time to uh, remember the sacrifice that Christ paid and in some way prepare ourselves for Resurrection Sunday. And as we're doing this, we're talking about what it means to experience God. Jesus told us that God is always at work. And he showed his disciples what it means to depend on God to do kingdom work. And this has to be part of our discipleship. We have to talk about this as mature believers with those who are just coming to Christ. Let's look at this next slide. These are some of the conversations we're going to have through this series. Do we know how to recognize when and where God is at work? What does that look like? What is our relationship with God supposed to look like? How do we know when God is speaking to us and it's not the pizza from last night? When we see him at work, do we know how to join him? Do we know what it looks like to join him? And then are we experiencing God in every area of our lives? Or do we have these pockets where God is on the throne, and, but these other pockets where eh, maybe it's someone else, someone who's not God? Our definition of what it means to be a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and on mission with Jesus. Let's go ahead and bring that slide up. And notice that experiencing God is written right into our definition. If I'm going to be a disciple maker, I have to follow Jesus because I honestly don't know how to do this without him. And I need him to change me because there's still things that get in the way of my ability to disciple. And then I, I, I have to choose to be on mission <coughs> With Jesus. And so, by definition, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we're going to experience Jesus. We're going to experience God. So, we have to train our people in how to do this. Today, I want to start with a question. And let's bring up the next slide. What is one word to define your relationship with God? How would you define it? Grateful. Grateful. I like that. What's your word for this week? If you thought about your relationship with God this week, where would you land? Is it straining? Is it deep? Is it hopeless? Is it jaded? Is it faithful? Is it fake? Is it loving? Is it rocky, empathetic, safe, delicate, amiable, optimistic? It's got to be up there somewhere. Authentic. Authentic. Well, I want you guys to write down your answer as we uh, dive in today. I came to Christ when I was six or seven years old. There used to be a church that would send out a bus and it'd pick me up. And I I believe that my parents were more often than not hungover. And so Sunday morning, I jumped on the bus and went to a church that was a quarter mile away. And one morning I went to the adult service and I heard the gospel message and I, I knew that I needed Jesus. I, 
don't know why at six or seven I knew, but I, I did. And that, that moment stuck with me. But because of my nuclear family, we were a mess. <laughs> we were a hot mess. Um, and so I had little or no discipleship. And uh, when I, you know, grown up as a kid, I would ask my friends, do you know Jesus? Do you, what do you think about God? And I'd, I'd have these conversations with my friends, and, and by and large, most of my friends just didn't believe in God, had no connection. There were a few here and there. And between my home life being a hot mess, I didn't want my friendships to be a hot mess, and so I kind of went with the crowd, and I started doing what the crowd was doing in middle school and high school, and then I started leading the crowd and some of that stuff. That was, that was a mess. Um, I thought partying and chasing girls would make me feel okay, and it had the opposite effect. And I really grew to dis- disdain myself. And I had this narrative running in my head, and it kind of reminds me of Fred Flintstone. Still no picture? We we had time to solve that. (laughs) I'm not the only one suffering from the daylight savings bug. Um, Remember Fred Flintstone? He'd have the, the angel on the one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. I you know, and it's not just it's not just Fred Flintstone, that's a common trope, right? And I think it's common because we all experience that. We all experience this running narrative that runs between our ears that is absolutely contrary to what we find in here. Like, who's God? And this narrative in my brain says one thing, but when I read this, I actually find something else. How does God see Rob? Man, there's a narrative that runs between these ears of mine that I would never find God saying about me. And I find I'm way harder on myself than I am on anybody else. But eventually, if I continue, I start being hard on everybody else too because I want them to be down on my level. You know what I'm talking about? And so I think this this trope of this devil on our shoulder, like it's so it's so common because it's it's what we experience. Like we all can kind of understand this struggle that we wrestle with. And so I found myself broken and a reject, and I I thought I had no value. And I was trying everything except for the things that Christ was calling me to, to try to fill this gaping hole that was in my heart, and, and it wasn't working. And finally, God lovingly came to me and said, Rob, if you don't get this turned around, I'm going to bring you home. And it sounds maybe harsh, but I I didn't see it that way. I knew that God loved me. And I knew I was sinning against my own conscience. And even though I hadn't been discipled, I had some sense of right and wrong because God's spirit was in me. And I was grieving God's spirit. And so... I started, I'm going, okay, I got to figure this out. And God provided my cousin and she came to me and uh, we hadn't seen each other in 10 years since we were kids. I was probably 20 at the time. And I started going to church with my cousin. 
And then I started going to Bible study. And then I, I found a mentor and he started investing in me. But at that time, if you could have asked me, if you would have asked me, you could, I'm sure you could. But if you would have asked me, define your relationship with God, I would have said maybe just God's disappointed. That's how he sees our relationship or he's angry. Or I find my relationship with God confusing. Or I find my relationship with God powerless. Because I was trying to live in these two worlds. And you can't do that. So the big question I have for you today, are you letting God define your relationship with him? Are you letting your experiences and the narrative that runs in your head define your relationship? Well, last week I said that God is always at work. If we're looking for it, we will see God at work. This week I want to start on hitting on what kind of work is God doing? And the work that God is doing, he starts by pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. We're going to see this in Moses' story. We looked at that part of his story this last week in care group, but I want to go back to the Exodus 2 account, and we're actually going to look at this through the lens of Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Christ, and in Acts chapter 7, he shares these words about Moses. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So Stephen provides some, tells us that Moses on Moses' life, and he tells us that Moses felt the call of God to save Israel when he was 40, not 80. Like the first time he felt this call was he was 40 years old. The problem is, if Moses would have stayed, he would have started a revolution. And it would have been bloody. And it would have been ugly. Many times when we sense God calling us to something specific, we don't have the whole picture. It just starts as a seed in our heart, a thought. Maybe, maybe joining Childbridge and, and becoming an adoptive family. It's just something that's starting to grow in your heart. You don't know the whole picture. You don't know the whole path. You don't know what all the steps you need to take to get from here to there. 
But that's where it starts. It starts small. And this can lead to unresolved questions that linger for a season. But understand that this is the start of something big. Jesus says that faith is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds, but it grows into this tree and provides shelter and shade and a place for birds to land. So that's the Exodus, Exodus 2 account. And, and you could kind of call it a failure on, on Moses' part. Like he, he knows God's calling him to something, but he really doesn't have the depth of relationship yet to, do, to, to live this out well. And he's not really letting God lead. He's just charging out without any kind of direction. <clears throat> but in Exodus 3, we see these words. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angels of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So Moses was aware that something's going on. Like he's aware that, that God's doing something and he chooses to engage. You know, I've, I've kind of gone both ways on that. Sometimes I've noticed what God's doing. and I'm like, way to go, God. And I keep on going. <laughs> Glad someone's doing that. Other times I've jumped in. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What an amazing thing that God would come to Moses like this and, and Moses just gets a glimpse of God's awesomeness, how big and majestic he is through this simple act of a, of a bush on fire but not being consumed. Whew, can you imagine We take time to worship, to stop and slow down and just to dwell on who we think our God is and try to grow closer to him. We do that as a congregation once a month just to, just to set aside time and go, man, we serve a big God and I don't even know how big he is, but I know he's bigger than this universe and I know he's powerful and I know he's capable of so much more than I can even imagine. That's why we do that. I think, of, I think of the Apostle John. He walked with Jesus like you and I have walked to, together and he, and he took meals together like you and I have taken meals together. And yet when Jesus comes in his full glory in, in the first chapter of Revelation, John falls down like a dead man. Oh, I long for that day where I'll be face to face with Jesus. And he'll tell me, do not be afraid. But until then, I'm going to do all I can to worship him here and now. And that's the kind of God that 
draws us, that brings us into relationship, that pursues us, that's always at work. This is the God that starts the relationship. He pursued Moses, and then he pursued Israel through Moses. He comes with the plan, and God does the heavy lifting in the relationship. Watch how this relationship moves, how it grows and matures and takes on new depth over time, though. 30 chapters later, we see these words. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called in the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. This, this is the kind of relationship that God desires to have, not just with Moses, but with each of us. And when I, when I open this up each day, and long before I ever sit down to figure out what I think God wants me to say to you guys, I start with figuring out what does God want to say to me. So my connection time with the Lord is not dependent upon what I'm going to say Sunday morning. It's foundational. Like I need this time with God on a daily basis. I need his voice. I need his words. The, these pages speak to me personally, intimately, correcting me changing me, giving me direction, help me to understand God's heart. And I experience him day by day as I, as I grab this. Not for you guys, not to start. Like I need that time too. I need, I wrestle with him all the time. Lord, what do you want me to say? You guys should probably wrestle for me. <laughs> At 40, God placed a desire in the heart of Moses. And I think I probably said Noah earlier. Did I say Noah? No? I've been, we've been preaching on Noah. And then there's that joke about how many animals did Moses put into the ark? <laughs> so that just messes with me sometimes. God placed a desire in the heart of, of Moses to see change for the people of Israel. But this was way too big of a task for Moses. He needed God. He needed that relationship. He needed that intimacy where we could say after the fact, he talked with God as a person talks with his friend. If Moses would have stayed when he was 40 and continued and tried to force this to happen, I believe he would have brought revolution. 
a bloody revolution. They didn't need a revolution, though. They needed an exodus. The people of Israel needed a relationship with God where day by day, step by step, they were led by God on a new path. And I believe that is what Jesus calls all of us to. Forty years later, God calls to Moses out of the bush. And Moses was tuned in to the fact that God was working. He noticed the bush not being consumed. And he decided to let it change his life. And he adjusted his schedule. And by chapter 33, we see God speaking to Moses face to face. And that's what I desired, that relationship. That's why I'm here. I had no idea I'd be leading a, a church. I had no clue. <laughs> and, and I didn't know how to get here, except for following Jesus day by day and responding to his leading in my life. So we know that God calls us. He pursues us for a relationship. But what's that one word that God would use to define the relationship that he desires with us? I found it interesting in looking at the Apostle John and his writings. In 44 pages, he uses the word agape, which is the kind of love that's reserved. It's the word that's reserved for the kind of love that God has for, for us. He uses it 94 times in 44 pages. Now, a third of those 44 pages is the book of Revelation, which I think it's like four references to love, or four times does he use them. Like, not the most loving book in the, you know, not the most happy, cheery, lovey, brothers, high five <laughs> book in the Bible. But the idea of love and the idea of God's love, I believe John was absolutely enamored with this thought. 94 times that word agape is used. 10 times he calls his audience beloved, and it's the same root. Just over and over again, John has to talk about God's love. It starts in John 3.16. We're probably familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John starts off this conversation of love with, a thought, with two loves. The love that God has for Rob, for man, for you, and the love that Rob has for evil, for darkness. It's my wrestle. It's my wrestle. And I find myself trying to figure out which one am I going to invest in? Am I going to invest in God's love or am I going to continue to chase down these things that, that, that I've proved over and over again will not satisfy? but somehow I'm drawn to them. And what I found is if I just kind of invest in God's love, 
the darkness takes over. If I spend a couple hours a week investing in God's love, just a, just a little bit of time, try to figure out what the bare minimum is, it's a dangerous life. Because if I just kind of invest in this, I'm drawn to this over here instead. But if I invest in this love, if I chase it, if I make it my life's passion, it guards me from those things that would draw me. We don't know a lot about this man named Lazarus, but we do know what kind of relationship he had with Jesus. 11.3 says, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 11.5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then 11.35 and 36, Jesus wept when Lazarus passed, even though he was going to raise him. Like what a waste of time. You're going to raise the guy from the dead and you stop and weep? Not a waste of time. Because the crowd said, see how he loved him. Not a waste of time. See how he loved him. And John continues with the theme of love in John 14. Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever believes in me will do will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do in the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. My friends, we have work to do. And our work is the same as Jesus. But we have greater work to do because Jesus was limited. He chose to be limited. He was limited by time and space, proximity. Like as many people could get close to him, he could heal. As many people could get close to him, he could impact, he could bless, he could teach. In fact, I think as the, as the groups got larger, Jesus got, spoke crazier because <laughs> then the crowds would wither down, back down to the size that a human being could handle. But the good news is today, God's church is not limited because it's spread across the globe. And that's why we could do greater works in Jesus because he's working through all of us through his spirit. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like if you're concerned about wanting to keep God's commandments, pursue loving Jesus. He continues to talk about love in John 15. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Are you abiding? Are you abiding? Are you tabernacling? 
Are you living in that love? Are you taking time to express your love to Jesus? As Christians, we talk about the 613 laws that the Jews observe that it must be burdensome for them. But I know that some of them will tell you that it's not burdensome because it's 613 ways of saying, I love you, God. Is that how you look at your confession time? Is your confession time with God burdensome? Darn it, you caught me again. I've been caught. Hate getting caught. Or are you telling God, I want to do so much better because I love you. And I know I blew it. I know what kind of God you are. I'm going to keep pursuing you. In fact, I'm going to pursue you harder. John continues to say this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. If we have the view that we are his servant and not his friends too, Oh, we're missing it. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. God is pursuing people through his son, Jesus. And I'm going to partner with him. I'm going to do all that I can to be on the same page with him. It's a partnership, but we got to understand that he's God. And when we come into his presence, man, we might fall, fall down dead like a dead person until he touches us and says, have no fear. I picture when I go to the ocean and I stand there and I watch the immensity of the waves coming in and I realize how tiny and fragile I am in comparison. And this is just a, a, such a small glimpse of how big and powerful our God is and how fearful it could be to be in his presence. And yet he wants us to love him, to enjoy him, to partner with him. If you want to experience God, if that's your driving desire, you will have to live for his mission. If you're going to live for his mission, you're going to have to live by his power because it's going to be bigger than you. Way bigger than you. The implication is this, God pursues you. He pursues you as you are, as he created you, as he designed you. He loves what he sees when he sees you. And he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. Living a life of hopelessness, powerless, brokenness, if that's your experience right now.
know that we serve a God who wants to draw you to himself, give you a purpose, and lead you to places that you think are impossible to go to. He says, nope, we got this. We're going to pass out communion. If this is your first time with us, please know that we have an open table. If you are here to celebrate Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want you to partake with us. We ask that you hold the elements and we will take them together. So the implication again is that God pursues you. Call to action is the same as last week. We are called to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to be on mission with Jesus. Jesus doesn't call converts. He calls disciples. Disciples that will need to go where he leads. He says, my sheep know my voice. And so if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to tune our ears to his voice so that we can obey. And so we could go wherever he leads. And disciples of Jesus are changed by Jesus because I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'm the only person in this room, but I was a train wreck. I could be a train wreck this week without much effort. It doesn't take much for me to get off track. I need that relationship day by day. But it's not enough just to follow Jesus and be changed by him. I have to join him in what he's doing. And each of us have to figure out what that part looks like. It's not going to look the same as me. You're not, we're not going to have 30 pastors at least ones that get up and go work in a church office. I think we could all be pastors in our own sense. I see my care group leaders as pastors. They're the front line of ministering to people. We want to journey with you to figure out what your part looks like. But we come back to the table week by week to remember what Jesus was willing to do to show us how much God loves us. And so the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Savior. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. Lord, I am so grateful for the relationship that you called me to. Oh, Lord, I watched you change me. I watched you change my mom, my dad, my brother, my friends. I've seen countless people choose to follow you and their lives forever changed. And I got to be a part of that. People that found recovery, people that found hope, people who started ministering, started giving instead of stealing. I watched you do miracle after miracle. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. 
I pray that we'd be a body of people that just hungers to see you at work so we could join you. We love you. Christ in our pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.